Chapter Eight of The Long Shadow by B. M. Bower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. Chapter Eight, Just a Daydream. Charming Billy rode humped over the saddle horn as rides one whose mind feels the weight of unpleasant thoughts. Twice he had glanced uncertainly at his companion, opening his lips for speech. Twice he had closed them silently and turned again to the uneven trail. Mr. Dill also was humped forward in the saddle, but if one might judge from his face, it was because he was cold. The wind blew chill from out of the north, and they were facing it. The trail they followed was frozen hard, and the gray clouds above promised snow. The cheekbones of Dill were purple, and the point of his long nose was very red. Tears stood in his eyes, whipped there by the biting wind. "'How far are we now from town?' he asked dispiritedly. Only about five miles, Billy cheered. Then, as if trivial speech had made easier what he had in mind to say, he turned resolutely toward the other. You expect to meet old man Robinson there, don't you? That was the arrangement, as I understood it. And you're thinking strong of buying him out. His place appeals to me more than any of the others. And, yes, it seems to me that I can't do better. Mr. Dill turned the collar of his coat up a bit further, or fancied he did so, and looked questioningly at Billy. "'You gave me leave to advise you where you needed it,' Billy said, almost challengingly. "'And I'm going to call you right here and now. If you take my advice, you won't go making medicine with old Romson any more. He'll do you sure. He's asking you double what the outfit's worth. They all are.' It looks to me like they think you're just out here to get rid of your pile, and the bigger chunk they can pry loose from you, the better. I was going to put you next before this, only you didn't seem to take to any of the other places real serious, so it wasn't necessary. I realize that one cannot buy land and cattle for nothing, Dill chuckled. It seemed to be that, compared with the prices others have asked, Mr. Robinson's offer was very reasonable. It may be lower than Jacobs and Wilter, but that don't make it right. Well, there were the two sevens. He meant the seventy-seven, but that was a mere detail. I didn't get to see the owner, you know. I have written east, however, and should hear from him in a few days. You ain't likely to do business with that layout, cause I don't believe they'd sell at any price. Old Robinson is the washout you want to ride around at present. I ain't worrying about the rest right now. He's a smooth old devil, and he'll do you sure. To this Mr. Dill made no reply whatever. He fumbled the fastenings of his coonskin coat, tried to pull his cap lower, and looked altogether unhappy. And Charming Billy, not at all sure that his advice would be taken, or his warning heeded, stuck the spurs into his horse, and set a faster pace, reflecting gloomily upon the trials of being a confidential adviser to one who in a perfectly mild and good-mannered fashion, goes right along doing pretty much as he pleases. It made him think, somehow, of Miss Bridger, and the way she had forced him to take his gun with him when he had meant to leave it. She was like Dill in that respect, nice and good-natured and smiling, only Dill smiled but seldom, and yet always managing to make you give up your own wishes. He wished vaguely that the wanderings of Dill would bring them back to the double-crank country, instead of leading them always further afield. 
He did not, however, admit openly to himself that he wanted to see Miss Bridger again. Yet he did permit himself to wonder if she ever played coon can with anyone else, or if she had already forgotten the game. Probably she had, and, well, a good many other things that he remembered quite distinctly. Later, when they had reached town, were warmed and fed, and even Billy was thinking seriously of sleep, Dill came over and sat down beside him solemnly, folded his bony hands upon knees quite as bony, regarded pensively the generously formed foot dangling some distance before him, and smiled his puckered smile. "'I have been wondering, William, if you had not some plan of your own concerning this cattle-raising business, which you think is better than mine, but which you hesitate to express. If you have, I hope you will feel quite free to, uh, lay it before the head of the firm. It may interest you to know that I have, as you would put it, failed to connect with Mr. Robinson. So, if you have any ideas... Oh, I'm burning up with them, Charming Billy retorted in a way he meant to be sarcastic, but which Mr. Dill took quite seriously. Then I hope you won't hesitate. Now, look here, Dilly, expostulated he between puffs. Recollect, it's your money that's going to feed the birds, and it's your privilege to throw it out to suit yourself. Of course, I might daydream about the way I'd start into the cow business if I were a millionaire. I'm not a millionaire, Mr. Dill hastened to correct. A couple of hundred thousand or so is about all, well... A fellow don't have to pin himself down to just so many dollars and cents. Not when he's building himself a pet dream. And if a fellow dreams about starting up an outfit of his own, it don't prove he'd make it stick in reality. The tone of Billy, however, did not express any doubt. Mr. Dill untangled his legs, crossed them the other way, and regarded the other dangling foot. I should like very much, he hinted mildly, to have you tell me this, er... Daydream, as you call it. So Charming Billy tilted back in his chair, and watching with half-shut eyes the intangible smoke wreath from his cigarette, found words for his own particular air castle, which he had builded on sunny days when the double-crank herds grazed peacefully around him, or on stormy nights when he sat alone in the line camp and played solitaire with the morning wind crooning accompaniment, or on long rides alone when the trail was plain before him, and the grassland stretched away and away to a far skyline, and the white clouds sailed sleepily over his head, and about him the meadowlarks sang. And while he found the words, he somehow forgot Dill, long and lean and lank, listening beside him, and spoke more freely than he had meant to do when Dill first opened the subject a few minutes before. Recollect, this is just a daydream, he began. But if I was a millionaire, or if I had two hundred thousand dollars, and to me they don't sound much different, I'd sure start a cow outfit right away, immediately at once. But I wouldn't buy out nobody. I'd go right back and start like they did, if they're real old-timers. I'd go down south into Texas, and I'd buy me a bunch of two-year-olds and bring em up here and turn em loose on the best piece of open range I know. And I know a peach. In a year or so I'd go back and do the same again, and I'd keep it up whilst my money held out. I'd build me a home ranch back somewhere in a draw in the hills, where there's lots of water and lots of shelter, 
and I'd get a bunch of men that savvied cow brutes, put them on horses that wouldn't trim down their self-respect every time they straddled them, and then I'd just ride around and watch myself get rich. And, he stopped and dreamed silently over his cigarette, and then, urged Mr. Dill after a moment, and then I'd likely get married and raise a bunch of boys to carry on the business when I got old and fat and too damn lazy to ride off a walk. Mr. Dill took three minutes to weigh the matter. Then, musingly, I'm not sure about the boys. I'm not a marrying man myself. But just giving a snap judgment on the other part of it, I will say it sounds, well, feasible. End of chapter 8